Good evening. Good to have you here tonight. Had a, the privilege of uh, being with our young people up at uh, Lone Tree up in Capitan, New Mexico yesterday. And uh, so those of you who have your kids up there, they seem to be doing okay. I uh, think they're still alive. Yeah, they are. Can you all hear me okay? All right, good. But uh, it was a blessing. They're going through the, uh, the armor of God, spiritual warfare. And uh, I thought it was quite significant that uh, even though we're not going through that particular passage of Ephesians chapter 6, <clears throat> everything that we're be- we've been doing in the book of Revelation is relatively encouraging us that we need to be as well armed with the things of God, especially the armor of God on us from the standpoint of being protected from the wiles of the wicked one. And, um, and so I think this is a message that um, <clears throat> though we might study it somewhat academically from time to time, we're in a book and we go through it and we learn of it and we understand what it is with all kinds of references and whatnot. I think now it doesn't matter what book you study in the Word of God. Everything applies to the fact that, number one, we're living in the last days. Number two, Jesus can come at any moment. And number three, we need to be ready for that moment. So it doesn't matter what book we're in. It doesn't matter what chapter. Uh, if you seriously consider the things that <clears throat> we've been studying in the book of Revelation, you have to seriously consider the same in every book. And how interesting that we have been studying the book of Genesis on Sunday mornings and Saturday nights and the book of Revelation, what we can actually call the, the bookends of the Bible, holding everything together, but yet they're all tied together. We had to take the kids yesterday back to Genesis chapter 3, where sin began for us. Introduced by the serpent of old. We've been there already. But how many times do we have to go back there? Time and time again, we do, because we have to remember what we're battling about, what this spiritual battle is all about. And I think that tonight, as we look at chapter 9, even though we are looking at it from the standpoint of the church being out of the book of Revelation by this time, raptured, taken out of the way so that God can deal with Israel and so God can also judge the unbeliever, who who have been given, by the way, every opportunity to receive the grace and mercy and truth of Jesus Christ. And while we've seen the beginnings of judgment coming from, uh, or looking at it from the perspective of heaven where John is, and seeing all these things happening in the preparation, in other words, all the seals uh, were broken, and then the seventh seal leading to the trumpet judgments, now we arrive at those trumpet judgments that actually take us from heaven 
to hell and the perspective from that uh, place. We talked about a little bit about how people today don't want to believe that there is a heaven or a hell, believe that there is some kind of a personal devil. Yet I don't know how you can say there isn't one when you look at the evil in this world today. So we are indeed looking at things that pertain not just to the future, but even to today. Now, I just want to see where I'm at here. Okay, we're ready. Revelation chapter 9, verse 1. Let's go there. We are at the 5th, 6th, and 7th trumpets. Tonight we're looking more broadly at the fifth trumpet. Last week was actually our introduction to it, and I never got to this verse, so here it is. Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven, or fallen. And by the way, it has to be that. I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. It has to be fallen. The word itself in the Greek is in is what is called the... Uh, perfect tense that means that whatever this star is as of course we discovered the identity of the star last time but whatever this star is because it's not identified by name was fallen in the past and continues to remain fallen so that's that's an indication now that we're not that we're not talking about somebody that could be fallen and then unfallen this being will always be fallen so, the star fallen from heaven to the earth, to him was given the key to the bottomless pit. Now, remember, it says to him. So now we know that it is a person. And again, if you were here last week, you already know that it's a him and who it is. And then in verse 2 it says, now why was it, what why was in verse 1? I thought verse 1 was up there. All right, there it is. That's verse 1. Now verse 2, And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. And then out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. These verses are well defined as uh, to what uh, they mean and what they represent. We'll, of course, look at them a little more closely in a moment. And they were not given authority to kill them. The, the locusts were not given authority to kill man but to torment man for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die and death will flee from them. What a strange image we are given at the beginning of this chapter. 
Now, we focus our attention considerably on the identity of the fallen star of verse 1 of our text in our introduction to this chapter last time. And there is no question, as far as the Holy Scriptures are concerned, that this fallen star is the serpent of old, that devil, or the devil, the accuser of the brethren, whose name we now call Satan, who we know deceived Adam and Eve with the lie. The lie. Just to remind you what the lie was. Did God really say the things He said? God didn't really say it. In other words, God's a liar. That's the lie. And the other part of the lie is, God didn't want you to to understand these things because He knows that if you eat of this fruit, you will be like Him. So many of the world religions today, the Eastern religions in particular, but there are even Western religions, not including true Christianity, of course, but even within so-called Christian sects or non-Christian sects, there are groups who today believe that you can become a god and that you should be a god or that you should work toward being a god. So you understand now that that's the adoption of the lie. God didn't really say what He said. He is a liar because He knows that if you get into the knowledge of good and evil, you'll be just like Him. So that's the lie. So the devil, the accuser of the brethren, deceived Adam and Eve with the lie and has been a murderer from the very beginning and the father of lies. The murderer because why? What, do we know why he is a murderer? Because when he introduced them to the lie, Eve and Adam both took of that fruit and they ate of it, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and God had already told them that if you eat of that particular tree, or the fruit of that tree, you will die. And man now deals with death. Death is one of our great enemies. So, he has managed to deceive an unsuspecting and gullible world ever since to adopt all the sins that led to his expulsion his position before the throne of God. The expulsion of his position or from his position before the throne of God. Because we know that the devil, the accuser of the brethren, was this Lucifer, Isaiah 14, Ezekiel uh, 28, this Lucifer, this anointed cherub, this anointed angel, but was fallen. Okay, so we understand what his sins were. I mentioned them last week. I'm just doing a little quick review. Pride, arrogance, envy, covetousness, jealousy, selfishness, hatred, being headstrong, unforgiving, blasphemous, ungrateful, and rebellious. Is that not the way man is today? Was that not the way we were before we came to know Jesus Christ? For the most part, we were all of those things. We exhibited many of those things, if not most of those things, in our lives before we became Christians. So now let's begin our study of chapter 9. Because once again, we come back to verse 1, and it tells us here, 
that the fifth angel sounded. So now the, the sound of the trumpet goes forth to do what? To announce judgment. A greater judgment than the seven seals previously. More than likely these judgments being, of course, at the middle of the great tribulation period, around the beginning of the last half of the tribulation. And I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. So up to this point now, the great devastating events that are going to rock the earth seem directed toward and against the physical earth itself, indirectly affecting mankind. At the blast of the first trumpet, remember this, this is just again review, but at the blast of the first trumpet, the trees and the grass were devoured by hail and fire, producing a vast amount of bloodshed. The second trumpet and its blast will bring about the destruction of the creatures of the sea, along with those who will be on ships by some kind of meteorite or asteroid or even an atomic blast. At the sound of the third trumpet, another projectile from heaven will bitterly poison the fresh waters of the world. As the fourth trumpet sounds, the normal and natural processes of the sun and the stars will be drastically diminished. So, all of nature is going to be affected by those first four trumpets. So, while these judgments will strike fear in the hearts of men and indirectly lead to pain and death for many, many will survive and a time of rebuilding may take place. As I said last time, possibly this... This calm before the storm. So, it's going to be short-lived. And the implication is that most will again ignore the voice of God. You see, most of the judgments that are taking place, or, and, I, and I can say that there are some certain things taking place on the earth today are taking place in a, in a very small way, even though they're catastrophic hurricanes, earthquakes, tsunamis, tornadoes, volcanic eruptions. All of these things are happening. Not all at once, as it will be, but they have happened in our history. They've happened in our near history. There are more things that may happen again very shortly, very soon in our lives. And we'll gather together and we'll go help people here and there because that's what we do. But when these things happen, we need to always keep in mind that there is some sense of judgment taking place to awaken people to call upon God, to awaken people to come back to God to for us to realize, you know, this is just a taste of what's going to be, in a greater sense, more catastrophic, more tragic, more traumatic than things have ever been. Most will ignore the voice of God. So the next three trumpets to sound will usher in three woes of judgment that will be directly experienced by every single person that has rejected the Lord. And again, this is going to be coming after a time for where first of all the church is taken out of the way. And it has to be. We've made that argument and, and, and the evidence of it uh, certainly 
reliable from the Word. But there's coming a greater judgment than we've ever seen upon man whom God has warned through the Word of God, but whether people are listening. It kind of reminds us somewhat of the events that followed 9-11. I think I've talked about this before, but I'll just remind you that immediately after the great tragedy, so many people rushing into churches, filling churches throughout the nation, signs reading God Bless America were everywhere, even in front of bars, nightclubs, and strip joints. But what has happened since? We've fallen back to normal. Well, things seem to be quiet now. TSA is in control at the airports. Or have things gotten worse? Are things getting worse? As we've already alluded to, the star, though unnamed, in verse 1, is a personality. We've already talked about who it is. It is not a physical star, since the context of the verse describes this personality with a personal pronoun, him. The tense of the verb fallen tells us that the star had already fallen from heaven and will not be unfallen. John is told when or how the star had fallen, but I'm sorry, he isn't told when or how the star had fallen, but he is given to see that the star is an intelligent being. But during the earthly ministry of Jesus, he was present when the Lord identified this being. John was. John was present when he identified this being, the fallen star. And that's in Luke chapter 10, verse 18. In Luke 10, verse 18, Jesus said to his disciples, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. You know, the reference to Satan's fall in our text, Revelation 9.1, is then to his original fall. It is to his original fall that it is mentioned. It would be fair to assume that his fall had to do more with a change in his status, not so much in his station of operation. Because some would think that Satan no longer has access to heaven because they think he lives in hell. You know, a lot of people think, you know, well, if there is a Satan, he lives in hell. And he's in control of hell. And we see caricatures and pictures of people drawing, uh, drawings, uh, making drawings of, of, of Satan, you know, with the horns and the ugly looking face and a big nose and, and a tail, a pointed tail. And he's in a red suit. and He's got a, uh, you know, a, tri, a trident, you know, that he sticks everybody that comes and he's in control, right? Now, that's the way people see it. You know, if there is a hell, that's Satan and he's in charge of hell. The fact is his status update was about change of attitude, not about change of address. Because Satan was no longer working for God. He was no longer that light bearer before the throne of God. And, and I have to tell you this, a lot of people believe that because of that position before the throne of God, he was actually the worship leader in heaven at one time. So worship leaders, pay close attention. You don't want to be like him. He fell from his position because of pride. I will ascend. I will sit. I will rule. 
He wanted the place where God was. Satan was no longer working for God, but against God and against us. That is now his change of attitude. He has had limited access, but access nonetheless to the Lord, as seen in the first two chapters of Job. When we read Job chapter 1, we see, it tells us about this wonderful, blameless man named Job. But then it talks about this day. There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them. So the reference to the sons of God, is, we've gone over this in, in times past, about that reference being a mention of the angels who would gather before the Lord and Satan was allowed to come among them. Not that he belonged there or that he lived there, but he was allowed to come along uh, among them. And what do we know about that? What we know about that, well, let's read the next verse. The Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Why? Why is Satan doing that? Well, you know, because here again, this gives us a picture that Satan isn't at the gate of hell, you know, welcoming everybody with a poke right on the, well, anyway. That's, that's not where he lives. The Bible also tells us that he goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So that's what he's doing on the earth. So when he comes before God, as when the sons of God gather together before him, what does he come to do? What is he allowed to come to do? He comes and he shows his new stripes and he says, I'm here to accuse the brethren. I'm here to accuse Job. In effect, when we look at this little meeting, he has come to accuse God of protecting Job too much. You give me one inch, and I'll make sure that Job will deny you. That's the accuser of the brethren. And it isn't just Job that he goes before the Lord to do that. You too. He goes before the Lord who has saved you and who keeps you and who strengthens you and who encourages you. He goes before the Lord to say, you know that person you saved? He's no good. She's no good. You protect them too much. You give me one inch. I'll make them deny you. And the sad thing is that sometimes... It isn't that we've denied Him by word, but many times we deny the Lord by our actions. And Satan has won a victory. He's won a battle when we succumb to his deceptions. It hurts, doesn't it, when we're called back through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, but it also heals. So, understand that that's what's happening here. It also happens again in, second, in the second chapter. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. So that's what he's doing in these uh, situations. So he is the accuser of the brethren, brethren accusing believers, <coughs> believers before God day and night, but he's also accusing God of taking care of you. And of me. 
But there's something I want you to see. I mean, this is, you know, we, you know, we have to throw some encouragement along the way as we go. So turn to, to uh, Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. <laughs> Again, this is encouragement here. It says here in verse 10 of, of Revelation 12, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. Are you excited about that? That's going to happen. It hasn't quite happened yet, but it's going to happen. Alright, so you've got to be encouraged about what God is going to do. Because you see, Satan isn't the one in control. Our God is in control. Satan is in control. Jesus is in control. So while he is our adversary at the bar of God's justice, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is our advocate. In other words, he's your attorney. He's your counselor. You know, wonderful counselor, almighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He is your counselor. Uh, we, we oftentimes call our attorneys counselors because that's what they are. He's the great counselor. He's the great advocate. He's the great attorney. First John 2 verse 1, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. Okay, that's really good, John. Please remind us of that. We shouldn't sin because we're Christians. We're believers in Jesus. We shouldn't sin. But notice that it says, and if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. In other words, he himself is the atoning sacrifice. That's what propitiation means. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Does that mean that the whole world would be saved ultimately? No. The, the availability is there for the whole world, but guess what? You have to believe. You have to believe. So none of the enemy's charges are going to hold or ever stand against the effectual power of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. None of the charges against you by Satan, the accuser of the brethren, is ever going to hold or stand against the effectual power of the shed blood of Christ. That should excite you. That should get you to be totally excited about the love of Jesus for you. Now, we're told in verse 1 that this fallen star was given the key to the bottomless pit. And now there are two things of great import in this statement. First of all, the fact that the key was given to this being does not suggest that Satan is the master of hell, as I've said already. He is not, it's not to suggest that he's the, the master of hell because essentially this idea is foreign to the scriptures. It is foreign to the scriptures for anyone to believe that Satan is the master of hell. That Satan is the one that is in charge of what goes on in hell. No. By the way, understand this. Scripture teaches that Satan will be hell's victim, not its ruler. Satan will be hell's victim, not its ruler. Go forward again. Revelation 20, verse 10. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Does that sound like somebody who's in control of hell? Not at all. 
Not at all. Secondly, the key is given at a specific time and for a specific purpose that will eventually further the Lord's plan, not Satan's plan. See, there's a statement that people say that I just don't like. They say the devil is in the details. And while there's some truth to that sometimes, we need to remember that God is in every detail. We need to remember that our God has designed the whole detail. He's designed from beginning to end. He has planned. He has purposed. He has predetermined. And He will complete what He begins. And everything that God does, everything that our God does, will always be for good. Always. So this fallen star, this devil, will serve God's purposes even if he doesn't intend to. No matter how much he thinks he can outsmart and outwit God, he is going to serve God's purposes. Even if he doesn't intend to. You see, whoever or whatever this army is that is locked in this pit that we're going to see in just a moment, Satan does not have the authority or even the ability to release them until God gives him the key and allows him to unleash them from this prison. The enemy is subject to God's rule. The enemy is subject to God's rule. So now, let's move on. Let's look at verses 2 and 3 of our text. And so he opened the bottomless pit and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. And then out of the smoke, locusts came upon the earth. Not locos, but locusts came upon the earth and to them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. Now, has anybody ever been stung by, by a scorpion? A few of you have? It hurts, doesn't it? And it hurts for a long time. And it, uh, it probably were not the deadliest or the, the worst kind, but it was pretty painful, I would say. I've never been stung by one, but I, yeah, I don't like those things, you know. But I've seen some, you know, the desert ones out here about this. Uh, I've seen some that are pretty big. And those, those are, while might, they may not be completely deadly, they, they cause a lot of pain. Cause a lot of pain. That's what they're known for. So keep that in mind. So the fallen star will open the pit. And the first question we may be asking is, what or where is the bottomless pit? Well, we learn from the Gospel of Luke that when Jesus visited the country of the Gadarenes and was confronted by an unclothed, shackled man who had demons, they had shackled him because he had all these demons and he was very dangerous not only to himself but to others especially. And he came and he fell down before the Lord one day and he cried, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. That Jesus asked him, what is your name? Now, you know, you all know that Jesus knew his name, okay? So he's asking to get us to realize what, these, what this entity was that was speaking. Because it says, what is your name? And, and, and the text tells us they answered, Legion. 
which is a whole host, a whole host of, of, of demons. But what's important is what they say after that statement. It's Luke 8.31. It says they begged him, they begged Jesus, that he would not command them to go out into the abyss. The abusos in the Greek. The abyss. They did not want to be sent into the abyss. As you know the story, they're sent into a herd of pigs, you know. And then the pigs themselves go off the cliff. And You know, when you go to Israel, if you're going to go to Israel with us, I hope you do, but we have to actually go to that place where it looks, it's in the area of the Gadarenes, and, and you get to see the, the, you know, the cliffs, and you can kind of see where that could have happened. And so we, we would think that that's about the area where that, that did happen. But they didn't want to go into the abyss. And yet, this abyss is their place of which Jude wrote. Jude has a one chapter uh, book uh, right before the book of Revelation. And there in verse 6, it says, The angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting change, uh, chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. That's dealing with or referring to this abyss, abusos or pit. In fact, a bottomless pit. The idea of the bottomless pit is, is to say that there's, there's really no way to get out. And also that it could take a lot of people into it. Or a lot of demons for that matter. Because the demons, it's actually reserved for the demons. And that's the sad thing about people who reject Christ. They're given an opportunity to have life. And, and, and then they choose death and they choose against Christ. And what was reserved for the devil and his angels, that's what they will partake of. Hell? The abyss? The lake of fire? so on and so forth. The, the Apostle Peter also wrote this, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. He said, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell, and the word hell there in the Greek is a word tartaros, which means the deepest abyss, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. The letter of Jude and the letter of 2 Peter are very close. They... they, they there was some sense of, of knowing what the other had written, and they, they kind of confirmed this together. But it is important to note that the abyss, or the bottomless place, is in fact a real, literal place, inasmuch as beings can go there. It is as literal a place as we have seen what John has seen by going to heaven. And by his very... Uh, presence in heaven as God has taken him there, it is to show us that there is a place called heaven where the believer in Jesus Christ will live forever. But there's also another place. So if one is real, the other is real. 
The expression bottomless, as I said, while appearing symbolic, <clears throat> nevertheless describes the deep and the depthless nature of this pit of everlasting punishment. Now, as soon as this pit is open, an obnoxious cloud of smoke is released. Like the cloud of a great atomic blast or a mighty volcanic eruption or a strange and overwhelming blackness will fill the air and, and blot out the sun from view. There have been times when things have happened of that nature. I think uh, not many years ago when Mount St. Helens erupted that for a while there was hard to see the sun. But I mean, there, there was still, you could kind of tell the difference between night and day, but there's going to come a time when something is going to be released where you might not tell the difference between night and day. Much like the uh, when the wells were, were uh, blown up in, in Iraq during the, uh, the Gulf War and all. But here's a good question. How dark is this darkness? How dark is this darkness? Do you remember the plague of darkness that God sent to Egypt during the time of Moses in the book of Exodus? There is an interesting and insightful description given to us in Exodus chapter 10 that I'd like for you to see in verse 21. Let's look at that first. Then the Lord said to Moses, as Moses is now confronting the Pharaoh, and and the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven that there may be darkness. Notice this, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, darkness which may even be felt. Can you imagine a darkness that can be felt? That's pretty dark. And scary. I actually said the word scary. Ooh, you know, spooky. That's, that's pretty bad. Darkness which may even be felt. And that is, that is God saying it. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place, For three days. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. All the children of Israel. The others had no light. Total blackout. So dark they couldn't couldn't find the matches for their candles. Or whatever it was that they lit. They couldn't, they didn't have no light. God made sure of that. But in the camp of Israel in Goshen... The Israelites had light. God was their light. Always remember that God is our light. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Then he turns to us and his disciples and he says, you are the light of the world. You're the light. But you're only the light because you have the light of Christ in you. I hope you do. That's my hope and my desire for you. Now, I have to say that this darkness was mild. The darkness in Egypt was mild in comparison to the darkness of hell that will be let loose on the earth during the time of the Great Tribulation. Because men are sinners and by nature they hate the light and prefer the darkness of superstition, the darkness of error, and the darkness of ignorance. As John tells us in John 3.19, John was aware of this. He said, 
This is the, uh, the condemnation that the light has come into the world or the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. When our deeds are evil, we don't want them to be exposed. So darkness is the cover. Light is, oh, uh, you know. I've probably told this illustration before, but years and years ago, I hate to say how many years, but a long time ago, I, I used to play in nightclubs, and, 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 and uh, there, there were times, you know, when I used to think that w- the lights were down low because of, you, you call that ambiance, you know. It was the atmosphere of the nightclub, you know. It was just everybody sitting in their booze, you can't see them, but you can see everybody on the dark dance floor because they were out there, you know. They want to show off, you know, whatever it was. But, but then you go to their table or your booze, you know, it's really dark. And, then, and you know how you got everybody out at the end, like at 2 o'clock in the morning when it was time? Turn the lights on, man. And everyone goes, Aah! And they run out the door, Aah! see you next week, you know. It was during that time that I came to know the Lord. And I was still playing because that was what I did, you know, it was my, kind of my, one of my jobs. But my whole perspective changed. And I would go into these nightclubs and I would say, man, this is dark. This is an ambiance. This is an atmosphere. This is darkness. When the light comes on, men hate the light because their deeds are evil. Whatever. And so much was covered up in those places. I could tell you stories, but I won't tonight. Now we're told that arising out of the smoke, locusts would come upon the earth. And these aren't your everyday locusts or grasshoppers, okay? These terrors are more than human. They are, in fact, demonic. Let's look at verses 3 through 10. Then out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth, And to them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. Now you have to remember, they were given power because they are going to inflict judgment. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those men. And that's speaking of mankind in general. Not just men, men, but men and women who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. So those of you who have been stricken by a scorpion, you you just had a little taste of something that, you know, was going to be of greater consequence to those who are being judged. In those days men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die and death will flee from them. That is quite heavy, that thought. The shape of the locust. I want you to notice how many times the word like is underlined here. The shape of the locust was like horses prepared for battle. Guess what? They're not horses, but they're like horses. All right? So they're not horses. You can't try to get a picture like a locust that looks like a horse. And a horse is a horse, of course, of course. Mr. Ed. How many of you remember Mr. Ed? You guys are really old. Okay. Unless you saw it on Nick at Night or something. 
the shape of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold. Which tells us what? It wasn't gold, but like gold. So it's, it looks like it's precious metal. And their faces were like the faces of men. So they were like men, but they weren't men, really. And they had hair like women's hair, and their, their teeth were like lion's teeth. So all of these things are descriptive, and they really are, to some extent, symbolic. For example, while we're here with a woman's hair. The Bible tells us that the woman's hair was, was a, a part of her glory. It was something that was a mark of, of their beauty. So in this particular case, just to give you an example with a woman's hair, that we're dealing with something that is appearing to be beautiful. Appearing to be good. Something to be desired. Something to cause us to want to desire something of that nature. If you put it all together with everything else, then you're talking about something that is evil, that is wicked, that is demonic. How many people today are being drawn deceptively to things that are evil? As if to say, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. I, I don't understand this, this fascination or obsession with, with black and death, you know, skulls and, you know, heads and skulls and rings with skulls and, and this kind of skull and that kind, and it's all over, you know, everybody, and I'm thinking, what's the fascination? It's all about death. Jesus is about life. So, so you, you see that some of these things, even though it's, it's dealing within the context of, of these locusts that are coming, that are really demonic and they're coming to, to harm. It comes also to deceive, even in the midst of the judgment. Their teeth were like lion's teeth. And they had breastplates like breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. So the appearance of, of so many, of so much of this, of this swarm. They had tails like scorpions. And, they, and there were stings in their tails. Their power was to hurt men five months. Wow. So we are seeing here an inescapable judgment of God. Now listen to me. We are seeing here an inescapable judgment of God. Whoever's on the earth cannot escape this judgment unless, unless certain people have the seal of God on their foreheads. That speaks, of course, as we'll see next time, of the 144,000. The 144,000 Jews who are going to be the evangelists to the world and any recent con converted tribulation saint. They will have the mark, they will have the seal of God on their foreheads. But that's it. Everyone else who will not will be judged. Everyone else. So we realize this. The locusts are not natural locusts. They're obviously not natural locusts. 
You imagine locusts with little crowns on their head? Mm-hmm. Teeth like a lion. You know? Hair like a woman. Mm-hmm. Face like a man. You know, it's, it's hard. So you see there's some symbolism here that we're dealing with. So they're obviously not natural locusts. They, they, they avoid what they would normally attack because they're commanded to. They are commanded to avoid what they would naturally destroy. They avoid what they would normally attack. Plants and trees. And instead, they attack men. And the Lord will allow these demonic hordes, which were previously imprisoned in the abyss, to come out of the blackness of hell to be seen as locusts shaped like horses. Or at least... Horses in a sense of stampeding across the earth. They come to inflict punishment and to torment as the scorpion sting would leave its victim in torture. And I have to tell you that these demons from hell who have been imprisoned for centuries are prepared for battle. They are going to be prepared for battle. And I only mention this because I need to encourage you to be prepared for battles until the day that Christ comes to take us home. You need to be prepared. I just don't want you to sit here going through the book of Revelation as if we're seeing a movie every week. And, you know, when it's all done, we go home and we talk about it and have some coffee over it. No, I want you to take it seriously. I tried to drive home the point yesterday at the youth retreat to those young kids, and I know it's a hard thing because I had to teach, I had to teach them after lunch. Can you imagine? You know how it is to, to go to a session after lunch? Half of them have one eye closed. One kid, poor kid was sitting in the front. Now, I, don't, I know he's not sitting in the front because he, he wants to fall asleep in front of me. But, but you know, he was like, oh, and I told the guy, nudge him! And the poor kid, man, he was like... I said, come on, man, this is serious business, you know. And so I, I kind of encouraged them not to worry. Uh, I wasn't mad at them, but I just, you know, but, but that's the thing. Seriously, this is serious business, folks. We can't take it lightly. What we see in this world today, I mean, we could talk about every issue that we see on the news today and realize that there is some connection to what God has been saying all along, that we are in the last days and our time, the time of this earth is almost done. So why do we play with that as if it's not going to happen? These demons are prepared for battle. These hellish angels have combined in them the horse, the man, the woman, the lion, the scorpion. I mean, so in essence, they're just saying, listen, man, they're just going to go after what they see as flesh. No matter what, the high, the low, the rich, the poor, the man, the woman. These are not the locusts that plagued Egypt, by the way. Ordinary locusts have no king over them, right? That's what we're told in one of the Proverbs. Locusts have no king, but yet they go in ranks, right? But the ones from the pit of hell, they do. They have a king. Look at verse 11. It says, They had as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon. But in Greek, he has the name Apollyon. It's the same translation for both names. Destroyer. Destroyer. Abaddon and Apollyon. Destroyer. 
Satan. What did Jesus say about the thief in John chapter 10? The thief comes but to kill, to steal, and to destroy. The destroyer is their king. Their appearance, as described in verses 7 through 9, gives us a picture of infernal angelic beings. Infernal angelic beings. I think some of us will probably want to call the IRS the Infernal Revenue Service and not the Internal Revenue Service. So you get a picture of what I mean by infernal. El infierno. Okay, got it? Infernal angelic beings. Because they're that one-third that fell with Lucifer out of heaven. They have supernatural power given to them and are incapable of being killed by natural means. Now, I have to emphasize, they are incapable incapable of being killed by natural means. They are locust-like in their voracious appetites that they have... that they have to be divinely restrained. They have to be divinely restrained. Still, their hunger is for men. Their hunger is for men. And unregenerate, what kind of man? Unregenerate, which means not born again, dead in trespasses and sins, godless, because the societies uh, that are around us today are heading in that direction of being completely godless. Even in our own country, there is a push... For there to be a godless, for us to be a godless, secular society. Christ rejecting. And those who are unregenerate, godless, and Christ rejecting men are given to these locusts as prey. And then we're given a picture of intolerable angelic beings intolerable angelic beings in that they will torment man to the point that man will seek death and not find it. For death shall flee from them. They want to die. That's how painful this judgment is going to be. They're going to want to die. And death will take a holiday. For the movie buffs, there was a movie in 1934 called Death Takes a Holiday with Frederick March. Just thought I'd mention that, but who cares? But it's called Death Takes a Holiday. Death Takes a Holiday. And death is going to take a holiday. The man is going to seek it and won't find it. You know, it is quite significant, by the way, that that the mention of five months is given for the time of man's torment by these demons. Because five months, which are the months of May through September is the natural life of a locust from May through September. And I can tell you this, the funeral homes will lose a lot of business during that time. They just won't get any business. They're going to put a sign up in front over here that says, gone fishing. Because, well, maybe they won't do that, but that's because they'll be wanting to die themselves, but they can't. Hopefully these guys won't be there. But anyway, is there a purpose Is there a purpose for these demonic hordes beyond just the punishment of unbelievers? Is there a purpose? Well, there is. 
And that purpose is stated for us actually at the end of this chapter. Let's look at Revelation chapter 9, verses 20 and 21. Because we need to see that there is a purpose for this. We're told here, and, and of course there's still some verses that we're going to deal with, so don't try to you know, connect all the dots but unless you've read the, through the whole chapter. But it says, But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands. What's the implication when, it's mentioned, when it says they did not repent? The judgments were to bring people to repentance and call upon God. So notice it says they did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons. This is, what, this is what's going to be going on after the rapture of the church, during the time of the tribulation. That they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And then verse 21. And they did not repent of their murders, or their sorceries, or their sexual immorality, or their thefts. Would you say that those things mentioned here are things that we ought to go ahead and stay away from even now? They did not repent of them. We have the opportunity today, if we are involved in any of these things, to repent of our sins and turn to the God who created us and turn to the God who sent His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, who came to die on a cross for our sins and shed His blood for our forgiveness. We can repent of those things and say no to them and say... Lord, I turn my back on them, I repent of them, I walk away from them as, as far as I can, and I want to come to you, and I pray that you, Lord, will have mercy on me and change my life and change my heart. We have that opportunity to give our lives totally to Jesus Christ today. So again, the implication is that the purpose was to bring man to repentance. How much better would it be for man to turn from the course he is taking away from the Lord today so that there would not be even a hint of future destructive judgment for them, but a true rescue and a true escape from the wrath that is yet to come. And if anyone thinks things are going to get better, I want you to think again. In fact, they are actually going to get worse because there's another trumpet coming. Look at verse 12. Actually, two more. One woe is past. The fifth trumpet. Behold, still two more woes are coming after these things. Two more. So if this one was pretty bad, do you think the other two are going to get any better? No, they're going to get worse. The fifth trumpet will essentially bring hell to earth. It will bring a foretaste of eternal damnation. People wanting to die but will not, and that for eternity. When we read about those who will be in hell or in the abyss forever and ever we read that they are living but dead. Do you all understand? It's not lights out and then that's it, you know, you don't feel anything. No, there's eternal punishment. And it's going to be painful. And they are going to be people in hell, if not all of them are going to be saying, oh, if we could only die. So you see how this is a picture of that? Is it any wonder? Is it any wonder that there are more than 600 warnings in the Word of God about hell? Is it any wonder that Jesus preached about hell more than about heaven? All because He doesn't want anyone to go there. Because of the torment. 
I want to leave you with this passage here in 2 Corinthians 5. And one verse in particular that we'll see, one part of that verse. But look at 2 Corinthians 5 and verses 9 through 11. I want you all to, to know this is where we're going to end right now. But it says, therefore, Paul said, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. So think about how beautiful that statement is. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent. In other words, whether I'm here with you or I'm not with you, but nonetheless, our aim is to be well-pleasing to him. I, I want to be well-pleasing to him for your sake. And I want you all to be well-pleasing to, to Jesus for your sake, too. Be well-pleasing to God. This is our opportunity in the day of grace to be well-pleasing to God. Now, look at verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Is what we saw today anything having to do with the judgment seat of Christ? Let me give you a big hint. No. Our judgment is a, a judgment of actually reward. But it's also about us having to deal with the things we've done on this earth, as it says. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to the, what he has done, whether good or bad. So there'll be rewards, and then there'll be loss of rewards, but, there, but there's still salvation, okay? There's no loss of salvation. But here it is for the Christian, verse 11, and it's the first part that you see italicized and, and bold. It says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Now, folks, that's for all of us here. That's not just for pastors and elders and deacons and, and, and ministers and, and missionaries. That's for all of us. Because of what we have read today in the book of Revelation about what is going to be happening in this world to those who have rejected Jesus Christ, to those who have chosen to worship other things other than the God of creation. Folks, knowing the terror of the Lord, knowing what God is going to bring upon this earth to all Christ-rejecting people, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, we are called to go out and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and preach the love of God so that people will not have to face the wrath of God. You got it? We are to preach the love of Christ so that man will not have to face the wrath of God. And, and you know, I didn't even go into, you know, trying to say, well, you know, some people have speculated that, you know, these locusts are, are helicopters. And, you know, it, it's possible. I mean, you know, the, they, they do kind of look, you know, if you look at uh, certain types of helicopters, they look like faces of man. They got the, the wings. They, they all go out in, you know, herds and all of that, whatever. They come out of the ground. To, you know, in Israel, when you, you know, there are so many places where all of a sudden, before you know it, man, these jets are whatever, come right out of the ground. It's like, whoa, you know. <laughs> but that's not the same as a bottomless pit, okay? They're just protecting their, their interests. But, folks, there is going to be a time when these things will happen. We need, to, we need to consider that some people just, they just need to know the Lord. We needed to know the Lord, and here we are. On a Wednesday night, we're here at church. We came to rejoice and Thank God for His love and grace and to learn of His Word and, and, and to grow in it. 
And now, we have a mission. We have a duty to let others know. Someone told us, let's tell others. So that they can appreciate the love of Jesus. They can appreciate what the cross means. What the blood of Jesus means. What the resurrection from the dead means. We, I hope we appreciate it more than we ever have. So others can do it too. Let's pray.